Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za So you can turn there, Acts chapter 10. We're continuing picking up where we left off last week. And while you turn there, a little birdie told me just now that the newlyweds are here, Mafolo and Andile. So I'm not seeing them. Maybe they're outside. Uh, But we do welcome you for for the first time. Oh, there they are. Are we do welcome you for the first time as Mr. and Mrs. Mafolo. Uh, good to have you with us. We enjoyed the wedding last week, and that was a wonderful occasion. Acts chapter 10. Uh, today we are picking up right where we left off last week, uh, and we're picking it up from verse 17, and we're going to go about as far as verse 34 this morning. So let me read for you God's Word. Acts chapter 10 from verse 17 to 34. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry uh, for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, uh, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, Well, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the the ninth hour, 
And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. This is God's Word. Well, the, uh, the topic of, or the concept rather, of broken telephone is one I imagine we're all familiar with to some extent. The idea of broken telephone is that someone says something and then through many other people trying to repeat the same thing to others later on, the thing that was originally said has been added to, subtracted from, multiplied, divided, and you find that the thing that is now understood later on is not what was said at the beginning. What was said and what was meant is lost through time and through the particular interpretations of others. The text in front of us this morning reveals a serious case of broken telephone in the lives of the people of God, Israel. While God had indeed instituted Levitical food laws and demanded that His people separate from the nations, the reality is God had never meant that no one from the other nations can be acceptable to Him if they worship Him. At the time of Peter, the Jews had come to a belief that is not what God had said and definitely not what God had meant. And in fact, God had given them ample reason not to believe that He shows partiality in that way. Uh, and so the Lord now here is fixing that. Last week we saw the vision that Peter received. It was a vision that perplexed him. Now I would encourage you, just by the way, to listen to last week's message if you haven't already, because the vision carries the entire narrative from here, from last week up until the end really of chapter 11, and, and we discussed the, the vision in detail last week. We, we need to understand that vision. And for the sake of time, I'll try not to rehash much of its detail today. This week, we'll see two things. Today, we'll see two things. We will see the meaning of the vision. What, what did that vision that Peter saw, what did it mean? We'll see its meaning from verses 17 to 28. And we'll see the mystery of the vision. The, the mystery that is undergirding the meaning of the vision from verse 29 to 35. And in both cases, we see the meaning. Both of these things are summarized by Peter as he understands the vision. He understands the meaning of the vision in verse 28, and then he understands the mystery that undergirds the meaning of the vision in verse 34 and verse 35, which will be our attention this morning. Uh, and in the meaning of the vision, and particularly in the mystery of the vision, we will see an abiding truth 
that the Jews of Peter's time had forgotten. Well, first, consider with me the meaning of the vision. It is the text that is there from verse 17 to 28. What happens here is Peter is there, perplexed, and then these men come, as we have just read, and then he goes with the men to Cornelius, and he summarizes his understandings in verse 28. Now, the vision that Peter saw last week, as we saw, was a one that confused him. And here in the text, the Lord is not leaving him without explanation. The events that follow the coming of the vision and the perplexion that comes from the vision clearly show that, these, that this is now the explanation of what the vision was trying to say. So the, the, the rest of what's happening from here on out, up until we get down to the end of chapter 10, really, all of it is an explanation of what was meant by the vision. How do we see that these things, that these, all of these rest of these events from verse 17 downwards are trying to explain the vision? Well, first, you'll remember last week that we noted that Peter's confusion at the vision reveals a disease in Peter. You'll remember that. But we must also note now that Luke's emphasis on Peter's confusion and on pondering the vision outlines the very fact that the following verses serve to explain the vision. So everything is happening condensed around Peter's confusion at the vision. And so these things that are happening are an explanation of the vision. Notice how, for example, the men that come from Cornelius arrive, look at verse 18, at the very moment when Peter is greatly perplexed. And of course, when these men arrived, uh, when these men arrived, they are Gentiles, and so they are not allowed in this man's house, in Simon the Tanner's house. And so what do they do? They, They stand outside the gate and they call out, asking if a man who is called Peter is staying there. This providential, coincidental arrival of these men at the very moment that Peter is confused is clearly showing that it is not coincidental. God is trying to say something through the arrival of these men. The second thing that shows that this section is, is all about the explanation of the vision is this. Notice the parallels between the vision that we saw last week and the events that happen in verse 18. Now, I want you to work with me here now, okay? I want you to have your Bible open and work with me. Look at, the, notice, look at verse 18. Let me read verse 18 to 21. And they called out these men and asked if Simon was called Peter was staying there as a guest. And while Peter was reflecting about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, men are looking for you. But get up, go down, and go with them, not hesitating at all, because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am he who you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? I want you to work with me here now. Think about the vision that we saw last week in verses, from verse 12 up until verse 15. In the vision, do you remember that a sheet came down? Yeah? Well, here some men are at the gate. Some men have come. What was on the sheet that came down last week? Unclean food, right? Well, here, outside, there are these men. And who are these men that are standing outside? Gentiles, unclean men. Just like in the vision there in verse 12, they are unclean men. Now, continue working with me. In the vision, where did the sheet come from? It came out of heaven. Do you see that there, right there in verse 
uh, in verse uh, 11. The sheet comes down from heaven. And according to the verses that we have just read, where are these men coming from? Who sent them? Do you see? Verse 19, the Spirit. See, the Spirit says, I have sent these men. So these men did not just land here. They came from God. They are literally heaven sent. They, they were sent here by God. In the vision, Peter is told to do what to the food that is on the sheet? To kill and eat it. And what does, the Peter tell, what does the Spirit tell Peter to do here in verse 19? To go with them without hesitation. Okay, he would have, been, he would have had, trip, just like he had trepidation at eating the unclean food that was on the sheet in the vision, here as well we expect him to have trepidation and resistance to associating and eating and going with these men who are unclean. So the vision is now happening in front of us. And last week, remember what happened with Peter. Last week, Peter was told to kill and eat, and did he kill and eat? No, he did not. He resisted. But, here in the, but thankfully here, Peter has, has learned his lesson. You see what happens there at the end in verse uh, 21. After he's been told in verse 20 to go up and entertain these men, he actually goes down and does it. While we lambasted Peter last week, uh, by God's grace, we see that he is slowly learning his lesson. He is no longer talking back to God, and he now just goes and does exactly as he was told. And in fact, he does more than that in verse 21. He actually has the in, sorry, in verse 22, he actually has the in as guests. He entertains them and gives them food, and he brings them into Simon the Tanner's house. He goes the extra mile in giving them, this, um, the, in giving them uh, hospitality. Well, the men explain why they have come after Peter asked them why they've come. They, they rehash what we saw a few weeks ago, that Cornelius was an upright man, or was told by God to send for Peter and to hear what Peter has to say. So they, they rehash that. And in verse 23, he entertains them, he gathers a few men, and they go with them undoubtedly. They'll act as witnesses. They go with them together to go to Cornelius' place in Caesarea. There in verse 24, they arrive at Caesarea. And when he arrives at Caesarea at Cornelius' house, they find the house packed with relatives and friends as Cornelius has prepared for this messenger of God that he was told to go fetch for, to send for. Now, before we get to the meat of, of this and the meaning of this vision, I do want to just pass by, just as a by the way, and give you something for free as a bonus, here in verse 25. Look at what happens when Peter arrives in verse 25. So it happened that when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and what did he do? He fell at his feet, and Luke adds this phrase, he worshipped him. Okay, a phrase that means worship. But Peter helped him up and protested, get up, I myself am also a man. Now this type of greeting where a Gentile worships an apostle like this happens twice in the book of Acts, here and in chapter 14 with, uh, with Paul and Barnabas. And each time the apostle makes sure to tell him that he is just a man. You know what Peter just did? He said, no, don't fall like that. Don't speak to me like that. I am just a man. 
Now, while in the ancient world it was quite a custom that you greet someone, somebody is in a place of honor that you greet, go down and greet them in that way. While it was a normal thing to happen, Peter and 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 the other apostles, Barnabas and Paul, in Acts chapter 14, notice another element to this: an element of worship, and they quickly deny it. They say, "No." Don't treat me like that. And look at, the re- look at the reasoning in verse 26. I myself am a mere human being. Okay, this is interesting because there's another person that we see often receiving people down at his feet and worshiping him and he doesn't correct them. Do you know who I'm talking about? Who am I talking about? Jesus. Throughout the synoptics and the gospel of John, People fall down and worship the Lord this way, and he does not raise an objection. In fact, in the case of Thomas, Thomas falls down and explicitly calls Jesus what? My God. Right? And Jesus does not correct him. Why am I giving you this as a bonus? I'm giving you this as a bonus because the next time your Muslim friend says to you, show me where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me. Don't be confused, just show him these texts. Because the men who are not God, they refuse it. No, 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 I'm a mere man. Don't do that to me. Don't do it here in this text and in Acts chapter 14. But with the Lord Jesus, they even call him God when they fall down to him and he does not correct them at all. Next time, that's just for you in your conversations with your Muslim friends and your Jehovah's Witness friends. Now come back, like, now come back with me here. Let's come back to this text and let's see the meaning of this vision. Peter now comes to verse 28 as he has arrived and he's just spoken there in verse 27. He's just spoken to Cornelius and had a conversation with Cornelius. Now he addresses the entire crowd in verse 28. And he says this to them. You know that it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or to approach a foreigner. And to me, God has shown that I should call no man common or unclean. That's the meaning of the vision. That's, that's what Peter now gets it. The vision when he was told to not call common what God has called clean was not really about food, but it was about people. It was not about food. While food is a a part of that in the lesson, the real issue is the people. That is why Peter is saying this now. Now the light bulb has shown. He now gets it. Ah, because God has shown me a vision to come here, told me to come here, and he had shown a vision to you, Cornelius, to send me to come here. Now I understand that that vision was trying to say to me, I should not call any human being common or unclean. That is the grand meaning of the vision for Peter. You and I last week tried to apply this principle, this principle of not calling unclean what God calls clean. We tried to apply it to many different areas of our lives. And that was fine to do that, but the real issue, the the real meaning here the real focal point, the exact location in God's mind of the principle is about God's people not calling other people that God calls clean, unclean. 
You see, Peter would normally have no business going into Cornelius' house. Even as we have read, Cornelius gives alms to the Jews. He is well loved by the Jews. He is well spoken of by the Jews. He still would not have gone into his house and eat with him and his friends because they eat all kinds of weird foods. They eat octopuses and, and, and crayfish and all kinds of things. They're so unclean, they're going to make him unclean for worship. He would have had nothing to do with that. But God says, Peter, do not call these people unclean because I am calling them clean. There is a, an important aspect to this that we must explore. The important aspect of this is the positive. Okay? Here's the positive. You are not to call anyone unclean. And then there is the reverse of that. You are not to call anyone that God calls unclean clean. Did you get that? One, do not call anyone that God calls clean unclean. Second, do not call anyone that God calls unclean clean. Let's take the first one, the positive. The language of unclean, when he says do not call anyone clean that God has called clean, that language talks about acceptability for worship. In this context, it talks to things that would make a person, if you were to associate them or touch them, not right to come before the presence of God. God is so holy that this person is, or this person or this thing would make you, unrep you, 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 are, you cannot come before God and make a representation because you are so far from Him, not only with your sin, but now with this thing as well. And of course, this thing, these things, were all representing the sin that separates us from God. For us to be able to come to God, we'd have to do so many other things, which all of it was talking about the fact that Jesus had to die and, and finally purify us. For example, the leper, if you to understand this, this language of unclean, uh, the leper is unclean in himself, and he will make you unfit for worship if you touch him. That's why everybody stayed away from a leper. A dead body is unclean in itself, and it defiles you if you touch it, makes you filthy, and so you now can't go and worship God. It creates a barrier between you and God. Well, in the same way, in the minds of the Jews, going into a Gentile's house, because they are unclean and eat unclean foods, makes you unclean and unfit for worship. If I go to a Gentile and touch them or eat their food, I'm not going to be able to go and worship God. That's the, uh, that's the language here. Hence, we just avoid them. And so what does the vision of Peter teach us about the new covenant? Here's the lesson. There is no one, by virtue of what they eat, where they come from, or any external characteristic are to be called unclean by us. In other words, the new covenant includes an equal association of peoples of all sorts. Okay? There's, there's people of all sorts, and there's no reason now to consider the people of all sorts that are around you as making you unclean for worship. And there's no reason for you to consider the people of all sorts that are around you as if they themselves, in themselves, are unclean and unfit for worship of God. Let's bring this to you this morning. 
if you hear hearing my voice. If you're going to be a part of what God is doing, if you're going to be a member of the new covenant, that in the work of Jesus Christ that is applied by His Spirit, if you're going to have, if you want to be a part of that, of this redemption that is coming, this wonderful new kingdom, this new humanity that God is working in, then you best get comfortable with all kinds of people. Just settle it in your heart. You just, you better just get already, just get comfortable with all types and all kinds of people. You have issues with short people? Sorry for you. You're going to have to deal with a lot of short people and love them. You have, you have issues with quiet people? Those people are just quiet and struggle to talk. Sorry for you. They're, they are in the new covenant. You're going to be with them for all eternity. You have, who, who do you have issues with? Who do you mind? Do you have problems with tattooed people? Sorry for you, there's going to be tons of tattooed people that you're going to have to love and give grace to. Do you have issues with BMW drivers? <laughs> do you have issues with BMW drivers? Sorry for you. Sorry for you, you're going to have to not just tolerate them, but love them. See, when we're not talking, and, and, and you have to hear what I'm saying, we're not talking about moral things, we're talking about external things, yeah? Not moral things. There are real and difficult cultural differences amongst people who are both equally acceptable in the new covenant. You follow? There are real and difficult cultural differences amongst people who both, both sides, are acceptable to God in the new covenant. There are real and difficult personality differences amongst a people who are both equally acceptable to God in the new covenant. And the way I see it, you have two choices, dear friend. You have two choices. One, you can leave the new covenant and create your own thing with people who are just like you. And good luck with that endeavor. Or two, utilizing the grace of God, you can clothe yourself in humility and enjoy the differences. You understand what I'm saying to you? Utilizing God's grace, you can clothe yourself in humility and enjoy the differences. Notice I didn't say tolerate the differences, deal with the differences, avoid the differences. No, enjoy them. Where do I get that from? Well, do you not want to enjoy what God enjoys? Do you not want to honor what God honors? Do you not want to receive what God receives? We saw Cornelius' prayers and life was acceptable to God even though he was eating probably pork. We saw that, didn't we? And, but, but, but we saw that it, was, it rose up before him as a pleasing aroma. Do you not want to also be, have something pleasing, encouraging to enjoy something that God enjoys? Okay. Well, that's the first part. That's a positive. Do not call anyone unclean that God calls clean. Here's the, here's the corollary to that. Do not call clean what God calls unclean. 
inevitably, in these discussions around calling people clean and unclean, there is a response from some people to just say, call everyone and everything that they do clean. Accept everyone exactly as they are. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach this, 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 this idea that you can just come exactly as you are and no change is to be, is to be seen in you. No change is to be expected from you. That there is nothing that God requires of you that you can just come in the package with all the practices and thoughts and feelings and habits that you have. Just bring those to God and God is going to baptize them and call them holy. That's not, how, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible rather teaches that we are to repent of our previous lives that dishonor God and hate Him and His law, and we are to become a part of what He is doing in the new covenant. You follow? This is very important because I don't want you to misunderstand. When we say that we need to be, we need to call, we need to call everybody un, a clean. We need to understand what we mean. We're calling everybody clean who has turned and come to God. We're not calling everybody clean for the virtue of just being you know, economical, what's the word? Ecumenical. This, this is a thick word. I'm just, I'm, I see it. Okay, I see this word. I see it. It's right there. Uh, but just for the sake of just, you know, this just being, you know, you're fine and you're fine in your religion. You understand the word I'm trying to say, right? You, you, in your religion over there, you worship the this way, you do things that way, you can come, all of us are all fine. That's not what we're talking about at all. And if you believe that, you need to repent. Because the Lord Jesus Christ did not just save us, but He gives us a law to live by. And so we must repent. Okay, well, let's continue on here. So that's the meaning of the vision. The meaning of the vision is that we are to not, there is no category, type of person, because of anything external to them that we can now use and say this person is unclean. Now let's turn to the mystery of the vision. Look at verse 29. And therefore, without raising any objection, I came when I was sent for. So I asked, what reason did you send me? And Cornelius then rehashes uh, the vision that we've heard three times already. Four days ago, uh, I was praying in my house, and behold, a man in a shining cloth stood before me and said, Your prayer has been heard. Your charitable deeds have been remembered before God. Verse 32, Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is also called Peter, uh, this man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon at Tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So now we are all present before God to hear all the things that have been commanded to you by the Lord. And so Peter opened his mouth and says this in verse 34. In truth, this is what he gets now. He understands. He was perplexed before. We, we've been seeing him perplexed and confused, but now he understands. In truth, I understand that God is not one who shows partiality, but in every nation, the one who fears Him and who does what is right is acceptable to Him. That's the, that's the, that's the light bulb moment for Peter. Now I get it. Anyone from any nation who does what is, what is right before God, God will accept him. Peter understands that God accepts worship from anyone who comes to him if they repent of their ways. 
And this is the point of the entire section of the narrative, that God will in fact receive worship even from uncircumcised Gentiles, and He will add them to the new covenant. The meaning of the vision, which we saw in verse 28, is that Peter should feel free to fraternize with Gentiles. But the mystery of the vision, the truth that is the bedrock of what the vision meant, is that God accepts worship from any kind of person who seeks, who, who seeks Him as long as they repent and believe in Him. This really comes to the heart of the broken telephone that I was getting to. This is what the Jewish nation, at least at Peter's time, did not get. That God will accept, God will accept <clears throat> worship from all the nations. That God will not show partiality. God will not disdain the nations. The twin truths of verse 34 and verse 35 are these. There are two twin truths. First is that God is no respecter of lineage. And second, that God accepts anyone who repents and does what is right. Do you see that in verse 34 and 30, 35? First thing that Peter understands that God is no respecter of lineage. God does not care where you come from. And the second thing is that God will accept anyone who repents and does what, he, what God deems to be right. So let's look at the first God is no respecter of lineage. This means that your genealogy, your skin color, your connections, where you went to school, how, which version of English do you speak? Do you speak Township English, Model C English, British English? Whichever English you speak, what, however you are, means absolutely nothing to God. God shows no partiality. God makes no distinction between people based on anything that is external. And this was true even in the Old Testament. It's not a new revelation. See, Peter's understanding something that's been true for all time. God had given them ample reason to understand this. A reading of the Old Testament will show some key pieces of information. It will show that while God expressed hatred at the Gentiles' practices of evil and the Gentiles' idolatry, God never at any point denied the Gentiles' personhood. God never denied that the Gentiles were people made in His image that He could receive worship from. Unlike how they're being treated now, they're being treated like dogs. It will also, if you were to read the Old Testament, especially among the prophets, you will also see that God expressed a desire to have the nations come and worship at His feet. Throughout the prophets, you see this. The and then, not only does God desire that all the nations come to His feet, but also He guarantees that they will. Some of the best statements about the nations coming to worship God we find in the Old Testament. We find such nations as the glory of the Lord, the, glory of, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the whole earth. As the heavens are above the earth, so the, the knowledge of the, of the Lord will be amongst all the coastlands. We see Psalms like Psalm 67, which the whole hope is that all the nations are coming to the Lord. God disdained the Gentiles' practices, not their personhood. Not them as people. 
God has never, will never, does not show partiality of any kind. And this reality also has implications for us, doesn't it? We must also not be those who show partiality. Are you with me? And in particular, we should never treat anyone as a second-class citizen in the kingdom because of their past. There is no marker. There's nothing that is on someone that is external or history from someone that would, would allow us then to treat that person as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. We are not allowed to do that. Do you want to be God-like? Do you want to be godly? Then do not show preference when you're treating people. Do not treat some people better than others in the church or out there, however. Do not, unlike, do, do not be a person who respects more certain people because of a certain thing and treats them, you, you give them all your hospitality, but then when certain kinds of people, a certain group of people are in need of the same love and care from you, you don't give them that. And this really goes further, guys. It, it, really, it really confronts us. For example, we have a lot of young people here in the church. Some of you young people might be denying a godly person, a person, a godly, you might be overlooking a godly person for marriage because they have a sinful past. Do not call unclean what God calls clean. Just because this lady or this brother had such a horrific sinful past, you cannot now say, well, I'm, I can't handle this. I'm holier than this. I want someone who kept themselves as well as I did. That is calling unclean what God calls clean. Now, I'm not saying you should marry everybody who comes to you. There's a lot of other... I'm not trying to make a premarital counseling issue here now. But I'm just trying to make an example here. That in your reasoning, in your minds, why are you rejecting that person? Is it something that the Lord has saved them from, washed them Call them clean, baptize them. Everything is beautiful. This person is going to be in heaven. But when you're still stuck on this whole thing that the Lord has forgiven them for, you're holding a grudge that the Lord is no longer holding a grudge of. The Lord has cast this sin as far as the east is from the west, but for you it's still an issue. Do not call unclean what God calls clean. He has called this person clean. Who are, who, how dare you say this is still an issue? Again, I'm not saying marry everyone who comes to you, but I'm just saying if, if our reasonings are we feel, we, we feel holier than other people because of the past that we've had and the past that they've had, we are, we are sadly mistaken. And we need to repent of that kind of behavior. God does not show partiality. But here's the second aspect. That's the first aspect of what he understands, the first aspect of this mystery. Here's the second aspect in verse 35. But in every nation, the one who fears him and who does what is right is acceptable to him. Wherever a person comes from, God will indeed accept worship from them if they repent of their sins and do what is right. Do you see that? How will God accept them? If they do what is right before him. 
I want, I, want to, I want to just introduce something to you here real quick before we come to the end, especially if you're here and if you're not a Christian. I want, I want you to hear me now. The Bible does not teach what is colloquially called unconditional love. The Bible does not teach that anywhere. You'll never find that phrase anywhere in the Bible. The Bible speaks of steadfast, enduring love, but it does, which is a very different thing than what is meant by unconditional love. In fact, the history of that phrase is quite recent and it's quite interesting. And it had a very particular agenda. But the Bible does not say that you can come and there aren't any conditions. The Bible does not teach that anywhere. Oh, you can come. Yes, indeed. Just as you are. Come as you are. Prepared to change. Come as you are. Prepared to change. That's the whole point of what the Lord Jesus says when he talks about when he talks about. Uh, if any man is not willing to hate their mother, their father, their own life, everything, everything about their whole past, they are not fit, they are not worthy to be my disciple. So everyone, the door is open to everyone, but there's only one door, and that door is Jesus Christ. The door is open to everyone, wherever they come from, but who, the way to come in this door is through bowing your knees and worshiping Him in the way that He says. The door is open to all kinds, wherever they come from, however they come, however they heard of Him. But there must be an acknowledgement that the sin that needs to be forgiven can only be forgiven through His blood and His blood alone. This is not teaching some kind of everybody can come the way they are and then everybody stays the way they are. But it is teaching that you come in and the Lord will accept worship from you. He will accept all your praise. He will accept all of your prayers if you bend the knee to Jesus Christ. And so in closing, have you bent the knee to Jesus Christ? Are you doing a form of religion that does not need Jesus Christ as its center? Are you, where you're feeling accepted, you want, you want to feel to belong, you want to feel accepted, without bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. I'm going to encourage you to bow the knee to Him because it is only in Him where life is to be found and it is only through Him where there can be, ex where your worship, where your, your life of worshiping God can be acceptable. You have to understand the corollary truth to this. If you do not come to Christ, your worship is not acceptable to God. Are you with me? If you do not come to Jesus Christ, there's no cleansing, no purification for your worship. It is useless. It is a waste of time. The only worship that is acceptable to God is if somebody turns, comes to Christ, and believes in Him. And may we, those of us who have turned from our sin and believe in Christ, may we grow in being God-like. May the Lord give us a grace to not show partiality to people, to not treat people better or worse based on their externals. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we are thankful to you uh, because you have made our worship acceptable to you through the blood of your Son. In Him we have redemption of sins. In Him we have an inheritance that lasts forever. In Him we have forgiveness of sins and redemption from the power of sin into the power of God. In Him 
wherever we are is holy ground because we are able to worship you freely. Oh, Father, we do thank you for this grace that you have given to us in Christ. And we ask for any man, woman, or child that is here that has not come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they'll truly repent and not fool themselves in thinking that they can come with their practices of evil unrepented of. But you give them the grace and energy to see, like Peter saw and understood, that indeed anyone can come if they do what is acceptable to God. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Well, we are now about to approach the table. Um, the table of communion, of course, is uh, a table of remembrance of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Really, every Sunday we try to remember this, this truth, that Jesus Christ was pierced for our bodies, was pierced, sorry, in His body for our lives, and that His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. But really, it is, it is only really at communion that we see this, that we get to participate in this. In an extra way, we see this, this, uh, this picture in front of us, uh, this drama in front of us of a bread that is broken and wine uh, which represents the blood. And so, firstly, I'm going to say that if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not belong to, uh, if you don't call yourself a Christian, certainly if you don't belong to any church or no one knows you to be a believer, there's, you, you're not a Christian, uh, feel free to just let the elements pass. There's no, there's no shame in that. This is a table for those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they're from this church or another church. Uh, but it's for those who have trusted uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and His grace. But also I'm going to remind you, dear saints, those of you who are welcomed in to participate, that this, this, is, this acts as a, 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 a covenant renewal, meaning that we are to examine ourselves and really think, are we living in light of this great gospel that we hold to? And so I'm going to encourage you that if there is a sin that you have not repented of, that you are holding on to, that you are stuck in, and you're, you're, you have not done the work of dealing with that sin, I'm going to encourage you just in the moment now to repent of that sin. Repudiate it and make plans uh, and put plans in place and have somebody hold you accountable to go, to go and deal with that sin. Because the Lord Jesus did not have His body pierced and His blood shed so that we can continue on in sin. I'm not talking about struggling with sin. I'm talking about someone who knows that they're just loving their sin and they're not willing to let go of it. I'm not talking about a struggle. If you're in that situation, I'm going to encourage you to, to make, make a, a commitment now. Repent and deal with the situation. And for the rest of us, may we now eat and drink as a, in remembrance of the Lord, praying and trusting Him to strengthen us, strengthen us uh, for the week that is ahead. I'm going to give you a few moments to do business with the Lord, to pray and, and thank Him and rejoice before Him in prayer because of what He has done in Christ. And then I'll call the men to serve the elements.